When I was a little kid, I used to play this game out on the playground at recess time with my buddies. It was called King of the Hill. Did anyone here ever play King of the Hill? The, the snow plows in Michigan would pile up these big piles of snow, and me and my buddies would all run out there and play this game, or it was every man for himself. You'd have to claw and elbow your buddies out of the way and get to the top of the hill where you would be King of the Hill. Not that I really ever knew what that felt like. I didn't really win very often. Just to give you an indication, this is what I looked like in elementary school right here. <laughs> didn't, didn't exactly have too many victories in my sweater vest there, but... What we didn't know when we were playing King of the Hill was that across the playground, the girls were playing another version of the same game, not on a physical mountain, but in their social groups. They were playing queen of the social group, trying to get to the top of that pile. What we also didn't know is that we would all grow up and become adults, and we would live in an adult world where many people never stopped playing the game, King of the Hill professionally, relationally, in our social groups as adults, some of us would still try to claw our way to the top. I realize now that that is not a new activity for human beings. It's been happening for many, many generations, in fact, for centuries. In fact, Jesus found himself at a dinner party, which we're reading about today, where people were playing a version of King of the Hill. I want to show you a little bit of context so that we can all understand what I mean by that. If you look at the first verse of the chapter, which we didn't read today, it gives some context. If you have your Bible closed, open it up again because there's some interesting things in here. This is Luke chapter 14. And the first verse of the chapter shows us the context for this dinner party. Look what it says. It says, one Sabbath when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were all watching him carefully. A ruler of the Pharisees, the king of the hill. You see him? He's a ruler of the Pharisees. And I want to give you a little bit of historical context to see just how much this king of the hill game was being played even at this dinner party. Can you show the picture of what a dinner party might have looked like in Jesus' time? There was an unwritten rule in Jesus' time that if you had a dinner party, you would have the host at the head of the table, and then the person to the host's right would be the person who was the guest of honor, and the person to the host's left would be the best friend or the one that the host loved. And then all the way around the table, all the way to the ends of the table would be, at the very ends, you'd have the lowest person in the social system. Okay, so it would go all the way from the lowest all the way up to the host with the guest of honor and the one whom he loved. And way down there in the bottom of the table, beyond those who were the lowest in the class, would be the servant. So basically, one step up from the servant would be the lowest person at the table, all the way up to the host. Can you picture this now? So if this was my table right here at the front, we'd have Eric Campman at the lowest point <laughs> at one side, and Gary... Gary, at another point, you guys would be the lowest, no offense, but that's what it would be like. And then it seems that every point along the way up the table, you'd be a little bit higher up that ladder. You'd be a little bit higher towards the king of the hill. This is the setting that Jesus finds himself in at this meal with Jesus. You can take this picture down, Matt, and bring up the lights again, Robert. Thank you. 
And we're pretty sure that this was what's going on at the dinner party because in the verses that precede the ones that Janice just read for us, Jesus gives a little bit of instruction to the people he's at the table with. We don't know where Jesus is seated at this table. He's a guest, right? The host is the ruler of the Pharisees. But in those verses preceding our story today, Jesus says, when you get invited to a party, don't sit in the seat of honor because the host might ask you to move down and you would be ashamed. But sit in the lower seat and the host might ask you to move up. And that's where Jesus says, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. In all likelihood, Jesus has probably offended about half of the dinner party at this point in the conversation. He's offended the guests, half of them probably, those who maybe clamored for a good seat when they got there. And then we pick up the story in verse 12, and not only has he offended probably half the guests, now he's going to talk to the host. What does he say? Verse 12, he said to the man who had invited him. Who's that? The ruler of the Pharisees, the king of the hill. Jesus has some words for him at the head of the table. He said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Jesus is exposing something that was probably happening in their culture where there was a little bit of, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. You know, like if I said, hey, Heather, I'll put you up in this seat at, this, at my dinner party and you know, the next time you host something in your home, you might think about where, where I might sit at your table. You know, and there was a little bit of tit for tat, maybe a little karma going on. If I do something nice for you, maybe you'll do it back for me. And we're all trying to climb up that social ladder a little bit. And Jesus exposes that at this dinner party. Now he's offended half the room, and now he's offending the host. And he continues to go on from there with something that probably sounded quite radical. Let's pick up the story in verse 13. He says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus is introducing a concept, he's introducing a motivation that probably felt quite foreign to the ruler of the Pharisees and all these people jockeying for position around his table. Invite the poor? Invite the lame? The crippled? Jesus, what motivation would I possibly have for bringing people to my party who can't do anything for me in return? You see, Jesus says you'll be blessed if you do that. Not repaid, but blessed. And I wonder how many of them around the table were thinking, what motivation would I possibly have for doing that? Jesus was sitting at table with what C.S. Lewis called men without chests. You ever read that from C.S. Lewis, men without chests? C.S. Lewis was writing in the 1950s in England, and he was writing about the education system at that time. And he was saying, we are raising up children and producing graduates who become men without chest. And he explained it like this. He said, the inner man, the inner being has three parts. We have the mind or the intellect, 
the heart, chest, and the belly. And C.S. Lewis said, you don't have to teach children about the belly. The belly knows what the belly wants. Feed me these cravenous cravings for more. Give me food. Give me material things. Give me, give me, give me. That's what the belly does all the time. And the mind is the intellect that teaches us how to be smart, how to, you know, have conversation, how to understand the world. But the heart, the chest, is what C.S. Lewis noticed. We're not really teaching kids anymore. Compassion, love, virtue. And we raise up these children and we turn them into adults and we wonder why they don't have any care. They don't have any concern for the world. They've all become men without chest. We've become very, very smart about how to fill our bellies. We become very, very smart about how to become kings of our own hills or queens of our own situations. We are men, we are people without chests. And I think Jesus is sitting around looking at the people at his table, maybe thinking the same thing. There's no compassion, there's no heart. And he introduces a motivation for them. When you throw a dinner party, when you invite people into your home, don't just get really smart about advancing your own self-interests, but operate from your heart. Think about the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind. Bring them to your table. That's a different kind of motivation. Now, as I said, I'm guessing pretty much everyone in the room is feeling pretty uncomfortable with what Jesus is proposing at this dinner party. There's probably a lot of tension in the room. There's probably people looking at the host going, you invited this guy to our party? He's spoiling it. And then in verse 15, one of the guests, maybe trying to break the tension, says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. My best guess of why that expression was blurted out is because the man was just trying to ease the tension, maybe trying to explain what Jesus meant. I'm sure what Jesus is saying here is that everyone will be blessed, right, Jesus? But then Jesus doubles down on his countercultural, offensive proposal to operate out of the heart, and he doubles down by giving a parable. You heard it read, you know it. He presents a parable. It's interesting because he's at a dinner party, but then he tells a parable. He tells a story about another dinner party, and it's one where the host sends out invitations, and then the day of the party comes, and the servant goes out to remind people that today is the day of the party, and all of them begin making excuses. I've bought a field. I've bought some oxen. I've gotten married. I can't come. Now, there's been a lot of speculation about why these three examples were given by Jesus, what they all mean, what application they have for our lives. But I think the simplest explanation is that Jesus was simply showing these are people who have means. They're able to buy things, right? They're able to still exist within this system of payment and repayment. You invite me to your party, seat me up well. I'll invite you to mine and seat you up well. This is all still within the system of tit for tat, of doing each other favors, of trying to climb the social ladder and becoming king of the hill. And Jesus says to them, go find people who can't repay you, who aren't part of that system. Because the people who are, the people who can afford property and nice things, they just might reject you if they don't think your party is good enough. We live in a system like that. We're used to paying for everything, aren't we? 
We're used to using our human relationships and connections to get ourselves ahead. We can easily become like these men without chests, like C.S. Lewis was talking about. I give you exhibit A, the college admissions scandal. (laughs) Now, y'all know I don't normally preach from the news. I prefer to preach from this narrative, the better narrative. But every once in a while, something that happens in the news seems to line up exactly with something that we're preaching. And I've been fascinated not only by the college admissions scandal, but I've been fascinated by how interested you all are in it. Everywhere I go in town, every conversation, not every conversation, but lots of them, we're talking about this. Why is that? I found Peggy Noonan's piece in the Wall Street Journal particularly poignant and prophetic. You know Peggy Noonan, the columnist from the Wall Street Journal. She was talking about she had heard someone's opinion that these parents were actually being quite sacrificial. They were writing these giant checks, $400,000. Why? Because they love their children so much. They want to get them into the best school. And Peggy Noonan said, I'm not so sure. She said, yes, they love their kids and want the best for them. They want to be responsible. But there's a degree to which one wonders if they don't also see them as narcissistic extensions of themselves. That one cuts a little close, doesn't it? That we want to get our kids into the best colleges not because we're sacrificially wanting what's best for them, but because we want what's best for us. We're still playing king of the hill a little bit queen of the social group. We want that sticker on the back of our car. I found this particularly relevant to today's reading when everyone's jockeying for position and Jesus comes in and introduces a whole new way of operating. Not just being really smart about filling our bellies, being really smart about advancing our own self-interest, but operating from the heart with compassion, looking for those people in society who cannot repay us, looking for those situations that we can give to with no expectation of being given to in return. Now that could be the whole lesson right there. We could pack up our Bibles and go home and think to ourselves, okay, operate from the heart, be compassionate. Don't always try to self-advance. And that lesson is right here in this parable and right here in this story. But there's something else going on. This is not only a prescription for how we can live in this world, how we can be more compassionate and giving and generous, but it's also a description of Jesus and his work for us, what he has done for us. In verse 21, The servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, now let me just pause right there. Jesus is telling this parable. And in the parable, he is the master of the house. He is now the host of the party. And he sends people out and they reject his invitation. And he becomes angry. And he's really talking about not just a dinner party, but he's talking about the eternal banquet. He's talking about what will happen in all of eternity where he is the host and we are the invited guests. He's painting us a picture for eternity. And he is angry. The master of the house became angry and says to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. I, want you to, I don't want you to miss this here. You see what Jesus is showing us is what he's done. He's showing us his heart. 
Jesus is the one who leads with compassion. Jesus is the king of the hill because he's the king of the whole universe. Jesus is seated in the most honorable seat in all of the universe. You know where he spends his days? At the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the guest of honor of the whole universe. And what has he done with that position? He's climbed down off of the top of the hill, off of the throne, and he's come all the way to our earth with invitations in his hand. And he has become the servant of mankind by dying in our place, by solving the sin problem. When Jesus looks at all of us, I'm just picturing him now looking around at the people at this dinner party. They're jockeying for position. They're trying to pay and repay each other in the social system and becoming kings of the hill. And he knows what he's done. He's given up all of that. And he's come to serve. I think Jesus looks at the people at that dinner party and he looks at us and you know what he sees? I think he sees people crippled, by sin and ambition, blind by pride, poor in spirit. So at this point in the parable, when Jesus says that the master sent out to find the cripple and the poor and the blind and the lame, he's talking about us. We kid ourselves to think we're the other people in the story. You see, Jesus is showing us that we're not the other people in the story. We cannot repay Jesus for what he's done for us. We don't have the means to do so. Jesus has done something for us we cannot do for ourselves. It's not karma. That's how a lot of us think about spirituality. Think about this. If I do enough, thing, enough nice things for Jesus, then he'll invite me to his eternal banquet. That's how a lot of us think about heaven. I'm a good person. I do nice things. I'm generous. I go to church enough. I serve. Therefore, I've earned my way into heaven. Jesus is showing us with this parable that that's not the equation. That's not how it works. We cannot repay him. We're not on equal footing with Jesus. If he invites us to his dinner party, it's not so that we can return the favor and invite him to ours. We are the ones in the highways and hedges. We are the ones separated by sin like Anne told the children. We're on the wrong side of the river of sin, and we need a rescuer. We need him, invitations in hand, to come to us. Picture this crippled person who's never been paid attention to in his whole life, suddenly getting an invitation saying, I want you at this party. That's us. It's a table of grace. I want to borrow from C.S. Lewis one more time. He wrote In the Great Divorce, which is an amazing book. It's a book about basically the offer of heaven and who gets in and who rejects the offer. And there's a number of people in the book who reject the offer of heaven. There's one woman who says, if my ex-husband is in there, I don't want to be there. <laughs> and she goes back. But someone else is relevant to this story. He learns that his place in heaven is something he can't earn. And this really bothers him. He says, I don't want anything I haven't earned. And he, he gets the gospel explained to him, and he still rejects it. It's that type of person that Jesus is talking to with this parable. He ends the whole parable with verse 24 with a warning. 
Verse 24, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. He's talking about the people who rejected the invitation saying, no thanks. Jesus is looking for people who know how crippled we are by sin, who know how blind we are by our own ambitions, who know how poor we are in spirit. Though we might be materially wealthy, Jesus is looking for people who say, I'm crippled, I'm poor, I'm lame because of all my sin. And I want to come to your banquet. I accept the invitation. You're the king of the hill, not me. Amen.